welcome to the Midweek Podcast, where we... Welcome to the Midweek Podcast, where we discuss what it looks like to flourish as disciples of Jesus in the COVID-19 world. Uh, my name is Matt Deason, and I'm joined today by a special guest, a blast from the past, none other than the great... Matthew Karsh. Wow, that's quite the introduction. Yes. Uh, Great to have you with us, Matt. Uh, We have some incredible topics we'd like to tackle today. Uh, But before we do, Matt, I was hoping you could uh, give us an update. Uh, You moved down to Ecuador in July of 2019, uh, almost a year ago. Uh, so maybe you could start by just giving uh, the the community a quick snapshot on what it's been like for you and Jenna moving down to Ecuador, and then of course how the coronavirus has played out in Ecuador. Yeah. So uh, thanks for having me back, inviting me back. For those of you who don't know, uh, my wife Jenna and I we were part of the original group that moved to Spokane as part of the church planting team uh, and served at the church. Uh, from those beginning days when we were meeting once a month in our apartment to uh, eventually being a weekly gathered church. And when I left, the church was totally fine, but now everything has just uh, <laughs> hit the fan. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. It's in shambles. Um, it's because you left, Karsh. <laughs> it's just, it's because I left the coronavirus came is what I'm trying to say. Oh, yes. We'll talk about that later. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Sorry, I've gotten off track already. What was I supposed to say? Uh, an update. How How is it living in Ecuador? An and okay, then so, what did it look like? So I'm actually recording this from California. If If it gives you a picture of how things are going in Ecuador, I'm actually recording this from California. So uh, my wife and I, so we, we've been working for an international school in a city called Guayaquil, Ecuador, which is on the coast of Ecuador. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Ecuador is a South American country right on the equator. And we actually left Ecuador on a humanitarian relief flight in, uh, at the end of April. And we've been living at my parents' house, uh, continuing teaching online, but living at my parents' house since then. Ecuador has, I think the last I checked, around 36,000 cases of coronavirus uh, reported. But the reality on the ground, especially in the city that we lived, was... Um, nothing short of horrific, I would say. I mean, if you might have seen some of the articles because they popped up in New York Times and, and big news outlets in the States, but the system in Ecuador got so overloaded that people didn't know what to do with dead bodies. And so there's pictures of uh, bodies just being left on the sidewalk for the military to come pick up. Basically, at the beginning of the emergency, the government turned our province into like a, it's, it's administered by the military. Um, so they're in charge of, uh, enforcing the curfew, enforcing, um, rules. And I can mention that just briefly, but it's bad. So hospitals got overloaded. People were just dropping off dead bodies at the front door of hospitals. Uh, we have coworkers who live nearby and they tell us what's going on. I, we actually heard about it from them before we saw it in the news. And, uh, you know, they ran out of supplies, people who end up needing oxygen. Well, the hospital doesn't have oxygen. You need to go find it for your loved one to make sure that they can breathe on a ventilator. 
um, it, it basically just overwhelmed the system and they've been trying to recover, especially in the province that we lived in. We decided mainly because of that, uh, that we would try and come back to the U.S. because we thought, hey, if we get sick, it's going to be really hard to be sick and try to talk to doctors in a foreign language. And most people are getting put in comas, like medically induced comas in order to deal with it. And family can't visit. My Spanish is so bad that I, I don't even know what would happen. So <laughs> we decided to try and get on one of the humanitarian flights. And uh, we were on the one flight out that week that left in at the end of April. Um, borders are closed. Uh, when people refer to lockdown here in the U.S., I chuckle to myself because we were in a lockdown in Ecuador. So we could leave the house in a car once a week, but only one family member could go. You can go to the pharmacy or the grocery store. That's it. Had to be between 5 a.m. and 2 p.m. You couldn't walk outside your house. Um, you couldn't do anything uh, other than go to the grocery store or go to the pharmacy. Uh, you could order food in. Um but that's about all you could do. And we lived like that from March 12th until we left at the end of April. Wow. And now we're in California. Which is different. Yes, very different. So people are like, oh yeah, it's basically the same here. No, it's, it's not basically <laughs> the same here. Uh, in terms of restrictions, I mean, we feel like we have, we can go for runs outside. We can go um, to the store because we need something. Uh, but we are trying to be careful because we understand the impact that coronavirus does and can have on people because we've seen it. We have coworkers who got it. Um, there's actually a lot of people. I, I keep hearing a conversation here with my family where they ask people, oh, do you know anyone who got it? And very few people are have any sort of relationship to someone who had it. Right. Um, but we know several people who got it and were in the hospital for weeks because they had it. Wow. Um, so it's not a... It was a really up close and we saw it all the time. Uh, whereas here, I feel much more insulated. Uh, you know, you hear about it on the news and you get the daily updates or whatever, but it's not. Right. Yeah. It's not a daily reality in the same kind of way. Totally. Yeah. It's just a totally different world. And I, I don't know what our numbers are today, but as of a few days ago, I think we had like 1200 hospital beds ready to receive people and two maybe two people who were hospitalized, uh, actively hospitalized for coronavirus in all of Spokane. Um, and we just have such a, such a different, you know, like system and the things that we have access to. And yeah, I, I don't know if I know anybody who knows anybody who's gotten the coronavirus. So it's just a very, um, it's real in its impact that it's had and all of the restrictions and all of that. But the virus itself has not hit home uh, for most people, we don't have bodies in the streets. We don't know anyone who's who's even had it. Um, so just a totally different world. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, to give the, the short version of the rest of the 12 months or so that we lived, we have lived in Ecuador and we'll plan to go back. Um, you know, we've been teaching international school. Ecuador is a beautiful country. People are amazing. Um, it's probably... Um, like visually the most stunning place we've ever been. And we love it there and get to see all sorts of cool, cool new things. And so it's really sad that the last couple months have been really tragic in Ecuador. Right. Totally. 
Wow. Well, thanks for that update. Um, for those of you in the community who are um, praying and fasting today, uh, that would be just another thing to lift up in prayer. It's just the the community that the Karshas are embedded in and the country of Ecuador, um, obviously being hit way harder than uh, most places in the United States. So um, thanks for that update. Um, well, I'll turn our attention now to the subject that we want to cover today. I see this as a rare opportunity to to dialogue with a River's Edge legend, the great Matt Karsh. Uh, and if there's one thing that Matt and I like to do, it's to debate stuff and to just take on difficult topics. And did that all the time when you were here. I really miss having the chance to do that. Um, but as soon as we lined this up and thought, oh, I can have Matt on an episode, I thought, well, what's a good debatable topic that we could tackle surrounding the coronavirus. I need something a little spicy if Matt Karsh is joining us. So Matt, the question I'm posing for us to answer in a single podcast is this, who caused the coronavirus? Who caused it, Karsh? Oh my gosh, it's, that is. It's a question that is ripe for debate. Um, we've actually got a ton of different answers being thrown at us right now. Uh, we've got lots of conspiracy theories, which I hope we'll get to. Uh, we've got lots of theological takes. Those are my favorite. The conspiracy theories. I love reading them. Oh, I oh, actually do too. It tells me so much about people. Right. Sometimes I just like, if someone will send me a YouTube video, I just feel like getting a bowl of popcorn <laughs> and just watching. And it's like... Yes. Well, I hope we'll get there. I love telling other people about them too, just to help people understand this is what this is what some people believe about the world. <laughs> I think it's really helpful. It is. It's fascinating. It's fascinating to like actively believe in one, and it's fascinating to be on the outside looking in. Um, so yeah. hopefully we'll get a chance to chat about that. But kind of bleeding in and out of the conspiracy theories are all these different theological takes on the relationship between God and the coronavirus. Did God cause the coronavirus? Uh, if he did, what purpose is it for? We've got a lot of ideas presented there. So maybe before we get to mm. uh, the conspiracy theories, maybe we'll start with what's still kind of an important and controversial question, which is, did God cause the coronavirus? Uh, Karshi, what do you think? I, what it's important when you ask a question like that, um, there's all sorts of stuff behind it, right? You, you more than not, more often than not, people come from a perspective that either highlights one of two, like, uh, extents of a spectrum. One is like, everything's controlled by God and everything's destiny, everything that happens. If my, if my hat falls off the shelf, it's because God caused it. It's this idea of like meticulous providence. Every single thing that happens is because God chose for it to happen. And it has meaning because of that. And then there's another side of the spectrum that says like, well, none of it has any like meaning at all. It's just kind of all chance. We all have personal freedom and it just all happens. And when you ask the question of, did God cause coronavirus? Usually people are asking because they want to know, like, did God really do that? Would God really do something like that? Because if he did, it has to have meaning. But I really don't want to believe that he would cause this many deaths. It's the same thing. With, did God cause hurricanes? Did God cause this earthquake? Right. I, I think that people are asking. There's a genuine question there. But I think, uh, you know, we're we're left with a complicated answer in many ways, because we look at something like a virus, which is, it's like a type of life. 
that causes death, and death is an enemy of God. So would we say that God made this thing that causes death? Like, does that really make sense? Well, in many ways, it doesn't make any sense. That would be like an evil being introduced by God, which doesn't work with what we know about him as a loving, caring father who who is, in his essence, goodness. Uh, right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that um, we kind of ask this question anytime there's there's a bump in the road, whether it's 9-11 or a hurricane or the coronavirus or whatever it is, it kind of stirs up. And then you have people in the Christian community coming out on one side or the other, usually pretty passionately saying, no, 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 this is how, this is God's relationship to events in the world and his relationship to evil. Therefore, I can tell you with certainty, this is the answer on either side of the spectrum. But I think ultimately in asking that question, uh, you, you start to bump up against the mystery of evil in the world, uh, which is framed in scripture as sort of this dark right. intruder into God's good world. Um, but because of the nature of what God is up to in the world and the way he's designed the world, we see uh, that evil is able to exist and persist uh, for a short time until the end of this age. Uh, and then it'll be done away with. So the, we have like these kind of the basic things that we can can grasp about evil. Uh, but we have to admit that a lot of it, we're kind of bumping up against a mystery that uh, I would say it's above my pay grade. Uh, I, I'm tempted, I'm tempted to say it's kind of above, bro, the, but you're the, prof you're the professional religious guy who's supposed to have like well, every answer well, right, to every right. question. But I, I'm like tempted to say it's above everyone's pay grade. Like I, there, there's like elements of that mystery that I don't think human beings really have access to. But I think whenever these things happen for me, um, rather than getting like lost in the endless debates and kind of the black hole of like, wait, wh how does evil exist? And what about God and his goodness? I really, what really stands out to me is the redemptive nature of God. Uh, and so that's kind of the place that I run. And the thing that I'm, that I cling to is that we're told ex explicitly in scripture, there's a lot of things that aren't explicit, um, or that, that are very layered or nuanced or complex or mysterious. But then there's other things we're told very plainly. And one of them is that God can work all things for the good of those who love him. And that really speaks in my in my mind, in my heart, to the redemptive nature of God. It means that no matter how... Well, well go ahead. Sorry, I, I want to interrupt just because I'm going to forget this if I don't say it. Go ahead. Because in, in line with the same, the in the same vein of things, uh, what we do, we do want to come back to certain things that are guaranteed that are true. And we, we know that that passage from Romans teaches us how God works in... And through evil situations and bad situations, in all situations, God's able to work together for the good of those who love him. And there's more to that sentence. But another thing, as we think about, not to move on too quickly from it, uh, there are what where people get confused, and I think is often confusing, is because we might read in Scripture in the Old Testament, well, God did send pestilence. God did send totally. this or that judgment on people. but. The, in those instances, we have really definitively God's God sent it. He's he's saying he did it. He, right. The, there's a very clear that is what happened, and it happened for a reason. It happened for a purpose. What we don't have in this situation is God saying that. I mean, unless someone wants to claim that 
they're they're God's prophet here on earth and to say that I know exactly what's going on. Yeah, unless God at, told at me. At the exclusion of everyone else. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's a that's a good segue. I mean, I, I'm hoping to end again on that redemptive note um, that God can take anything and use his promises to to flip evil things on its head and to use them for good. The coronavirus is no exception to that. And so I think in the big picture, we actually, I'm actually, I'm more of an optimist naturally, but I'm actually like kind of dreaming about what God's doing in and through this and the advance of his kingdom. And I see the soil softening around the world and some of our cynicism being put on the shelf for a bit and people waking up to the fact that they maybe were putting their hope in things that are very shakable and uncertain. And so from my perspective, I think there's a fresh openness toward the gospel and the eternal hope that comes with it and all of these good things that are gonna come out of this. But I wanna continue down that line of, of thinking that we're on, uh, which is really asking the question, like, why did this happen? And you have these prominent, or why is this happening? Because we're still in it. And then you have these, these answers that are coming from different prominent voices in the Christian community. And I've just, I just jotted down a few of them, but you have one camp that's saying, hey, this is God's judgment on the non-believing world. It's meant to turn the world and the nations back to him in repentance, uh, much like something that you'd see in the Old Testament with uh, an Egypt or an Israel or like God doing these things where we do get to see behind the scenes in those cases. And God really did bring pestilence in order to turn a nation back to himself. So you have voices saying, that's it but it's for the non-believing world. Then you have another camp or other voices who are saying, no, 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 this is God's judgment on, um, on the church and weakness in the pulpit and we're drifting from the word of God and we're failing to preach his word with authority and it's left us vulnerable to this. God's now, maybe he caused it, maybe he didn't, but he's certainly allowing this calamity to happen in order to bring the church back I, to him in greater uh, integrity. You, I have others. You want to stop there? I, well, I just want to pause there because what I what I want to point out with that is the the just baseline difficulty I have with the idea that if we just got it right, like if we just got preaching right, which is a focus in in many churches, if we just got preaching right, like if the pastor was able to preach correctly, then there'd be no bad things that ever happened in the world. Well, right. I mean, yeah, some of that is yet yeah, does hit on a larger a larger worldview of like good and bad experiences rise and fall based on what's being preached. Right. Do you and, I, and I, I don't think that that's a biblical worldview. I don't think that history supports that. And I don't think that the gospel itself supports it where the, the pictures that we get of what happens both to Jesus and then the rest of the early church isn't, well, if they had just got their preaching, right, no one would get martyred. Oh, or right. no one like no bad things would happen. That's not the picture that we get of the way that the world works or the way that a faithful church exists in the world. Right. So in hearing so I, in, I in hearing that, some of those prominent voices saying, "Hey, this is a call to uh, repentance on the non-believing world," or this is a call to repentance uh, for the church itself. I think for me. I'm leaning back on that redemptive thing of like, I honestly hope that's one of the things that God brings out of this, but did God bring it sure, to begin yeah. with? Like, did he cause this to happen so the church would repent or so the non-believing world would repent? 
uh, I think that's when you get, because because every voice, whether it's a conspiracy theory or one of these takes on that I've just mentioned, uh, every voice is very certain of themselves. Every voice is very, well, God, you know like God has told me, he's informed me that this is why this is happening. And now I'm just revealing it to you. It's also a very, I mean, now that I, I live outside of the United States, I see some things with a different lens. So when you have a, let's say a pastor who lives in California, who says, if, if churches would just preach faithfully, what they're referring to is like churches around them. He's not referring to the worldwide churches and their faithfulness in general, because there's no way that that guy is, is exposed to that, but he's, he's not thinking about that. He's right. He's probably comparing his, his style or his theology to those around him and the arguments that are worthwhile and the arguments that happen in the United States. But to say then that this worldwide pandemic, which originated in Southeast Asia that then has spread across the entirety of the world is because of like a lack of evangelical preaching. It's so, it's so focused on like uh, it's, it's a narrow lens on what matters at, Right. It, it, it kind of sounds like what you're that, describing is it's like, it's, it's a very self-focused thing. It's like, I live in this little bubble and if things yeah. went different in my bubble, then the whole world would be different kind of a thing. Um, yes, that's, so, that's so a that's, much better way to say it than I said it. <laughs> that's why I'm here, Karsh. But I think the, the bigger, like the bigger, one of the bigger issues in my mind is that like, I, I honestly hope that God uses it to, as a means of purifying, refining, refocusing the church of uh, masses of people coming to repentance. I genuinely hope all of those things happen, but it's also worth noting that we're always supposed to be a repentant people. Like the coronavirus doesn't doesn't change that. He sh or God shouldn't have to bring a virus in order to have like his followers be a repentant people. Like that's just part of who we are. We're going to be doing that. We were doing that before the coronavirus came or we should should be and we should be living that way after the coronavirus fades. So I think that's that's part of the the difficulty there. But I do see the draw to those perspectives because you have a couple concrete examples of things like that happening in the Old Testament. Uh, and so I can see why people would would go down that path of saying, oh, I open my Bible, I see this you know, unique relationship between God and pestilence in this you know, one instance in Israel's history. Now there's pestilence happening. Can't we infer that he's doing the exact same thing again? And, and the point where we can agree with I, I would be happy to agree with anyone who says that is should this situation cause us to be more repentant and self self-reflecting? Yes. We like, we're constantly called to that, but sure. In this situation, it should cause us to reflect on those things. Right. And that's, that's a point where we can agree on it without having what I think is a problematic, uh, for this, for the sake of, uh, for the sake of the world that actually cares about like what people post on blogs and what, gets posted in the headlines, which is church says that this is the result of this, you know, for people who pay attention to those things that doesn't have a very, um, in my opinion, helpful evangelical, like evangelism, helpful. It, it's just not, it's not, not very compelling. Yeah. Right. Right. But should, should we be, be forced to, and be caused to like think about and, and, and repent and be a, be a repentant people? Yes, of course. 
right. of course we should. Yeah, and I think it's worth saying that it's that's that can be a really healthy response in these. We're not telling people not to do that. Like it's a very healthy response under the circumstances for every human being to be thinking again about like where does my heart lie, um, and am am I is my life about loving God and loving others, or has it slipped into something else? Um, so, can we can we talk about the end times? We can. Okay, because so, you, well, go ahead. You could use anything first, and then I'll say my 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 like. Well, the thing that I if I assume what you're going to say is something to the effect of many people are evaluating the situation. See, see, look, I read Revelation 13, and this is the opening of this seal, and I know that this is where we're at in the book of Revelation, and it's just playing out in front of us as the end times. Take us Jesus soon. It's kind of. What I assume you're going to say is that something. Clarifying? Well, yeah, I think there's like there's there's almost two big picture camps in my mind and within the Christian community with as we're talking about, like, what's the what's behind the coronavirus? You know, what is God up to? Uh, how do we interpret or decode the times that we're in? I think there's one camp that says, oh, it's just a call to repentance, call to repentance in the church, call to repentance in the non-believing world, whatever it is. Uh, then there's this other camp who um, is more entertaining in my mind and goes much, much deeper and into greater detail. Uh, and there's this wide variety of, it kind of feels like the floodgates have opened a bit on kind of these end times theories and theology and saying, hey, I know where we're at. And I had a close relative come to me recently and say, just kind of nodding his head like, oh yeah, this is like, this is the beginning of, of the end times. My pastor told me, he explained it. It's not the end end, you know, but it's like the beginning of the end. Uh, and it's kind of like these, you know, the first birth pains that will lead to the end of the age. And, you know, Christ is coming back soon. You have a okay. lot of, you know, pastors jumping up and saying, hey, we know it's close. Like we're almost to the finish line. And here's how I know. And then and then it just goes into all sorts of conspiracy, conspiracy theories about politicians and it's the Republicans or it's the Democrats or it's Bill Gates or it's, you know, this health advisory board and it's everyone's trying to make these power plays and the Antichrist is coming and uh, and and all of this stuff. Uh, there's a bunch of theories about how this global crisis will lead to a global government and one world religion and a cashless economy and the Antichrist will come and take over, you know, that that system. And because of coronavirus, now we're going to have microchips in us to track, you know, the virus and its spread and the vaccine, maybe even the vaccine is part of the mark. That's the, right. that's part of the mark of the beast that you need to participate in his global economy. And so you've got pastors from the pulpit actually showing pictures of politicians and generating fear around uh, a vaccine, which is another level of craziness because... I thought that was kind of the way out of this mess was to get a vaccine, but now we should be skeptical of that. So Karsh, help us out, man. What's what's going on in our world? And what do you think about all of the end times theories? Well, let me, I'll say two things because first now, now living outside of the United States, what, what is so hard to comprehend when you live in it and you're surrounded by it. Those are the, like, when people point the figure at that person's the antichrist or that's what the mark of the beast is it's always centered around this bubble that you're familiar with you used the word bubble earlier i think it's really helpful like living in ecuador and reading ecuadorian news 
exposes me to like other people who have other ideas that are not the names that come up when we point to this person's antichrist or they're the reason that the world's gonna like turn into uh, what we see in revelation so when people make these like statements about how the church is under tribulation or how the church is the one who's going to suffer at the hands of x y or z person it's almost always through the lens of these american or like western european leaders when we think of the eu and and the us like no one is, is thinking about how political leaders in south america play into this uh like if you're if you're developing this sense of who's the antichrist who's against the church who's causing tribulation who's truly fighting for the truth no one's thinking about the people who exist outside of their bubble and what they're familiar with and i think what that does is it highlights how interwoven this is not with like a true theological vision of what's going on but how how mired it is in in political bents and and the like ethnocentrism of the ways in which some people view the future of the church or what's going to happen it's through the lens of and exclusively what's happening to like american evangelicals and i think that should cause us as christians who exist as part of the global church to give pause and that's the first thing i'll say you can i don't know if you have thoughts on that but i have a second thing to say which i think helps me when i think about end time stuff yeah, I mean, I think what you're what you're saying uh, lends a very valuable perspective, because when you look in history, um, you can see. I even just think about pestilence, and like, I don't want to downplay the coronavirus, but if you look at like the if you play the numbers game and you say like percentage of you know the the world infected, percentage of the world who's died, uh, it's nothing compared to stuff that was like ripping through the world in the early centuries of of the church um and so i think yeah whenever we whenever we go there and say it's this politician who i don't like it's this lunar eclipse that's you know happened 20 20 right. times since christ came but this is the only one in our lifetime so clearly it's this lunar eclipse that's going to be the end of the age or you know it's this disease that we're experiencing versus all these other diseases that have come through i think naturally and we kind of said this before but we do need perspective there um to say well wait a second like this stuff like this isn't the first time these things have ever happened you know like guys this is the 20th of these types right. of lunar eclipses you know since christ ascended like why can you explain again why it's this one and um i do think there's a bit of um, I, I even think of what C.S. Lewis, I think he coined the term chronological snobbery, uh, which is this way yeah. of like, it's kind of speaks more to the secular culture of saying, oh, we who exist today are far smarter than anyone else. But you can almost create like a theological chronological snobbery of like, clearly what we're going through totally. is novel and it's new and it's the most important and it's the end of the age. And I know it. Um, and then all it takes is like stepping out to another portion of the world and looking back and saying, yeah, people here aren't talking about those politicians, um, and those conspiracy theories right. and they don't care, you know, what coded number is on Bill Gates latest patent and whatever else. It's just like, I do think it's helpful to have, right. uh, some of that perspective and recognize, no, a lot of that is very, 
is very specific to you and your world. And then naturally it just gets projected across all of the world and all of time. Yeah, totally. And so, so then I'll say the second thing, which has always been uh, helpful for me as I think about end times and people ask that question. The church from the day that Jesus ascended has always lived with this sense of immediacy, the nearness of Jesus' return. Amen. The church has always lived that way and should always live that way. Well, and that's, I so, think that's actually the most appropriate term for end times. Like, when are the end times? When did they start? I think biblically, you're at hand. Yeah, They're here. Yes. From the moment Jesus ascended, that was the start of the end times. Uh, to, if you want to use that phrase as it's used in scripture. Right. But I, I think the big thing for me with the conspiracy theory, and just as a side note, if if you happen to be in that class of people that's getting really sucked into all of the talks on Revelation and Mark of the Beast and you know chapter 13 says such and such, I'd actually encourage you to go back and we did an in-depth series in the book of Revelation not too long ago, and we talked about all of those things. Who's the beast from the land? Who's the beast from the sea? What's the mark of the beast? What does 666 mean? We we talked about all of those things from a biblical perspective, and that's yet another thing that kind of triggers me is when they is people stand up and pretend as if those things had no significance in the first century and only hold significance for like Bill Gates' patent or whatever today, and here's, right. you know, and whatever else is happening in the world, they've meant nothing to the global church throughout history until now, uh, until 2020. Now they have meaning and significance. And that's always a red flag for me because it's ignoring what was what was clearly, uh, you can you can argue things have double significance or that there there's layers to yeah. it. Like it meant this in the first century, but it's coming around again. It's going to mean this for us today. Um, but when these pastors or end times people jump up and say essentially it had it's had no significance until today uh, that is another clue to me that they're not handling revelation responsibly uh, to see it as yeah. it meant nothing to the original totally. audience only to us i can't like i don't i can't read all of their inner thoughts but that's a little trigger for me that, well, wait a second. We actually know a lot of the significance that some of those people and facts and figures held. And we know why uh, the writers would have written it in veiled terms and um, so that it you know wouldn't arouse the suspicion of the Romans and all this other stuff. So um, that's, that's one thing. It's just on like reading Revelation responsibly, which somehow the coronavirus has just brought that to the forefront of everything. But I think the bigger issue for me is that when we get sucked into my specific theory of the end times and who alive today is going to factor into the pages of Revelation, when I get sucked into, no, I know this is God's specific call, you know, for the unbeliever to be called to repentance or whatever it is. I think oftentimes um, we can miss the point. Like the, they just have this power, this gravity, and and a lot of those speakers and their theories, it can be so. Can, it just draws us in. There's there's something about it that there's just a gravity to it. There's an energy to it. There's something in our spirits that's so easily um, seduced is a very negative word, but like we're just so easily brought into that, and and it can resonate with us, and all of a sudden instead of thinking about like how to love God and, you know, love our neighbor and what does it look like to really just like partner with God and what he's doing in the midst of this, 
all of a sudden we're just sucked into all of these crazy theories and we're spending hours of time, you know, researching whoever such and such politician or world leader on the internet and coming up with conspiracy theories. And we're not, the problem is that we don't, we're, when we get sucked into that, we're not actually living the way that Jesus asked us to live. He said, always live as if I'm going to come back any moment um, and just be focused on loving God and loving others and mm -hmm. sharing your gifts with the world. Okay, well, are any of those theories actually encouraging people to do that? Or are they just encouraging like this crazy amount of like weird inward thinking and mistrust and slandering people who honestly are trying to do a lot of good in this situation. And we can just get sucked into this weird camp and end up like you step back out of that camp and look in and you think that you're, you're just not acting in line with the way that Jesus has called us to act in the midst of this. Uh, and I think the early church is a great example. Like they had pestilence that was much more um, pressing and much more threatening for the average person than the coronavirus. They had those things sweep through the ancient world. So picture something that's the coronavirus, but 10 times as deadly or something like that, um, or even more according to the percentages. Uh, it, those things were rippling through their world. And we don't see a ton of evidence in the pages of history that they sat around um, you know, coming up with conspiracy theories or calling the pagan world to repentance or accusing their church leaders of a lack of integrity or whatever it was. What we see in the early church it wasn't perfect, but there's there were some beautiful things in the early church. And when those things swept through, what we do see in the pages of history is the church asking. They're not asking, you know, who caused it or who's behind it or what's the conspiracy or, who, you know, what's the mark of the beast? They're asking, hey, who's going to be affected by this and how can I help? And, and yeah. then in response to that question, they're going to the people who are sick and dying and risking ex and exposing themselves. They didn't have masks and gloves. You know, they're actively exposing themselves to something deadlier than the coronavirus purely to help people try to survive what they're dealing with. And in some cases, they contracted the virus and died themselves. Uh, and that was the testimony. That was, that's like this powerful, that speaks of Christ and his love and his glory in the world. That glorifies him a lot more than um, just flinging accusations and coming up with more and more complicated conspiracy theories. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what, that's really what we wanted to motivate us to, right? It, it, the thought is helpful as long as it drives us and the conversation is helpful as long as it drives us to greater love of God and neighbor. If it drives us to spending all of our time creating YouTubes or YouTube videos or podcasts just to like explain what's going on, but we never take 10 seconds to pray for our leaders or to pray for those who are lonely and dying or for those who can do some sort of practical work to be alongside those people, then what's it for? Right. Yeah. And I think there's two different ways of approaching it. Like I, I think there's a way that just seems much healthier, healthier to me where we recognize and stand on the truth that we belong to a redemptive God who can redeem anything, even the, the darkest, worst things, regardless of their source, God can use those things for his glory. He can redeem those things in a ways that often seem sort of counterintuitive to us. He's the, he's the redemptive God. And so I think really resting on that 
um, has been uh, important and, and kind of a key thing in my life. Um, but then also recognizing in all these other categories, like according to the Bible, we've always been living in the end times and we're going to be surprised by Jesus' return. We're not going to know when he's coming back. And Jesus is way more concerned about us using our gifts and loving our neighbor and partnering with him to do redemptive stuff in the midst of this. I, I just see like that's, that is, um, he, he's way more concerned about that than our specific theory on the book of Revelation and why we think, you know, we have it. Um, and we've cracked the code, even though nobody else can. Um, and so I think there's just a kind of a, a word of warning about some of those conspiracy theories and where they lead us. Uh, if you want to watch the videos with a bowl of popcorn and take everything with a grain of salt uh, <laughs> and just, you know, get a good laugh out of a couple of them here and there, that's fine. But they also have a way, I think, for some of us, they just kind of grip us and we think, no, this is it. This explains because whenever something happens, when 9-11 happens, whenever, you know, something upsets our world, boom, you get a rush of conspiracy theories um, that that flood in to that unrest and that unsettled feeling. And we we say, I want a lens. I want a solid lens that can explain. We want, a, we want an answer to to the complex question. Why did this happen? And why is why is it happening now? We want it. We want a clear answer to that question. Right. And the problem is. There isn't one. Right. Yeah. And and yet there's always going to be, whenever somebody comes out black and white, I've got it. There's going to be some segment of the population that rushes behind them because they we just love. We love the clarity. We love having things black and white. It we, soothes us. It's, yeah, yeah, it's so comforting. Yeah. And so I think there's part of the call is to say, no, we're, we're taking comfort in the fact that God is with us and that God can can redeem anything. Um, and we, we can rest in that until the end of the age and just get busy, you know, get on with the business of just following Jesus and praying for his kingdom to come, uh, regardless of what's going on in our world. So, uh, Karshi, any, and I almost, oh. I almost get that. Oh. I was going to ask if you had any final oh, thoughts, but I, I think you do. Well, I, I guess maybe this is just a good thing to end on. Cause I have a lot more thoughts. I think this has showed us a lot about things that, that we value and things that, um, it should cause us a lot of self-reflection. Um, but I think uh, maybe it's helpful or not, but if uh, Stephen getting stoned in the beginning of the book of Acts, right? Right. Uh, and the picture that we get of that, like what's Stephen focusing on, right? He has a vision of Jesus. Uh, it's not hit him with a frustrated fist at Jesus saying, why could you let, why would you let this happen to me? Or looking around and, and blaming the people around him. Um, but there is, I don't think it's, I think a special picture for us, maybe even now to say like his focus is on his vision of Jesus. And right. even in his own death and in his own suffering, not that probably anyone who hears this, including my self test i say this like we don't we're not really suffering in this um but there's a clarity of focus that a lot of the other like time and energy we can spend trying to work on all the other things distracts us from that focus even though it might be veiled veiled in christian things i don't know if that's helpful or not but. 
Yeah, I think it is. Well, uh, for timing's sake, we got to tie it off. Karshi, thanks so much for uh, joining us this week and giving us an update and sharing your thoughts on uh, conspiracy theories and end times and all of it. Uh, we miss you and we love you. Uh, and if Ecuador decides to close their borders forever, we will welcome you back to Spokane, Washington. Um, and in the meantime, we'll tie it off here. Would you bless us as we end? Oh, I thought you would ask. I hoped you would. May the Lord. Well, which one should well, I do? I thought you might be a little rusty. I actually had the thought, like, I wonder if he's been in the habit of blessing people over the last few months. I tried to learn it. I during tried to shelter learn it. at home. I tried to learn it in Spanish, but I just couldn't do it. Oh, that was the pause. But well, I'll accept anything at, at this point. May the grace. Of, okay. 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 May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.